Will you turn with me to John chapter 16? John chapter 16. study of this Gospel of John, we have encountered several lengthy discourses of Jesus. Sometimes it has taken us months to get through some of those. But we're in the very last one, the last discourse of Jesus. And in that discourse, there are several sections where he speaks of the Holy Spirit. We're in the last of those sections on the Holy Spirit. Last week we considered the first part of this section. In those verses, Jesus explained what his spirit would do when he came in regard to that world around us, the, uh, the, the evil system, the unbelievers uh, that are always in our lives. You may recall that we saw there that God changes hearts. We just bear testimony. We just live in love, and loving relationship to God and one another, but he changes hearts. And he changes them specifically in regard to Jesus. For what people need is not just to turn over a new leaf or to try harder, to stop sinning. What people need is the Savior. And so because of those truths, we were urged to testify boldly, confident that God would change hearts, and to testify clearly, not just empty moralisms, but the gospel of Jesus. That was last week. This week... The attention turns from what the Spirit is doing in regard to the world around us to what the Spirit is doing in regard to us. The work of the Spirit in regard to believers. What does He want? What's His plan? What can we expect Him to do? Well, that's the subject of verses 12 to 15 that we look at today. Let me read them. Jesus is speaking. I have much more to say to you more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Two truths this morning. We'll touch on the first one quite briefly, and then we'll spend most of our time on the second. The first truth is this. You will never exhaust knowing Jesus. You will never exhaust knowing Jesus. I have a coffee mug at home, bought for me by a friend, I think it was a friend. It says on it, genuine antique person. Been there, done that, can't remember. Now I can I kind of identify with that and uh, I understand why that was purchased for me. Uh, and that's fine for a coffee mug, but you know I'm surprised at how often that describes the faith of Christians. Someone introduces some great truth. Someone actually dares to get excited about something they found in their Bible. And what happens? You've seen it happen, I'm sure, just like I have. People say, oh yeah, I know all about that. Oh, I studied that back in school. 
oh yeah, I, I don't remember all about that, but no, I don't, I'm not interested in that. In other words, been there, done that, can't remember. Oh, but this text challenges that mentality. Here we come to understand that we can never exhaust knowing Jesus. We can never get to that point that it's old hat. Been there, done that. Look at verse 12. Jesus says, I have much more to say to you. More than you can now bear. That's a remarkable statement, you know? I mean, think about it. Jesus has just completed three years of full-time instruction with these disciples. All day, every day, weekends included, evenings included. Including hands-on, internship-like work, personal evaluation, personal counsel, plus he's going to conduct another 40-day seminar after his resurrection kind of to update all of their views and help them to understand how these things will fit with the things he, he told them before. And yet he still says, oh, there's so much more. More than I could ever explain to you. More than you can take in. You can't exhaust what it means to know me. And this morning I tell you that's still true. You see, the problem was not just that they were not ready, where they were personally, they were not ready to hear everything, though that was certainly true. And it's certainly true of us. We're not always ready to hear everything. And the problem was not just that God's plan was still unfolding, that it wasn't completed yet, though that was certainly true of them. And it's true for us. We still wait for some things, you know. Now, the problem was that the revelation of Jesus is unfathomable. It is infinite, unlimited in its intricacy and its perfection. That's why they couldn't take it all in. Did you ever hear those verses? Eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. You heard those verses? We hear them at funerals a lot of times. Talking about the glories, the indescribable glory of heaven. That's not what those verses are talking about. Those verses from Isaiah 64 that are quoted in 1 Corinthians 2 are talking about the coming of, the, of Jesus and how that truth is going to be communicated to us by His Spirit. And you have not imagined what it's like, it says. You have not even heard such things. That's why they could not exhaust the things that Jesus had to show them. And that's why you and I can't either. So this morning, before we move on to the real meat of this text, I just want to challenge you. Especially you who, like myself, have sat in pews Sunday after Sunday for decades. And have acquired some modicum of biblical knowledge. Guard your heart. Guard against the smug, complacent, callous attitude that says, I've graduated. Been there, done that. Oh no, you haven't. 
you are just getting through kindergarten. We've only just begun to scratch the surface, you and I, of what there is to know. You see, we are talking about personal fellowship with the infinite, incomprehensible, perfect, unlimited, beautiful, eternal Word of God, the Son. You and I will never exhaust knowing Jesus. If we think we have, it only shows we don't know him very well. So I pass on to you the command of the Apostle Peter. Not a command he wrote this night. This night he was pretty full of himself and he thought, oh, I'm all right, I know all this stuff. I can hang in there, I know everything. And a few minutes later he's swearing an oath that he never knew Jesus. Now this is a command he passes on later in life as he sees how much there is to know. And he says, grow, oh grow, grow, grow. It's a command, grow in God's grace and in knowing Jesus. Grow. Can't ever exhaust knowing him, but you die trying. Growing in knowledge. Well, that brings us to the great promise of Jesus in this text where we want to spend most of our time, and that's this. That the Spirit will guide you into the truth. The Spirit will guide you in the truth. In verses 13 to 16, Jesus just piles truth upon truth upon truth to describe this, the many facets, the beautiful different aspects of the Holy Spirit's work, what the Spirit is going to do when the Spirit comes. He says he's not going to speak on his own. In other words, the Holy Spirit will only act on the initiative of Jesus. Want to know what's driving the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus is driving the Spirit. He's doing what Jesus is doing. He goes on to say that the Spirit will speak only what he hears. In other words, he has no new source of information. The Spirit doesn't come with some uh, new concept, uh, hey, something, uh, some innovative thing. No, he comes to speak only what he was sent to speak. He goes on to say that the Spirit will tell you what is yet to come. Well, it's going to be a continuity. There's the things that have happened. There's the things coming, about to happen. We're going to talk more about that in, in, in a minute the continuity of these things. Jesus says the Spirit will bring glory to him, to Jesus. In other words, we know the motive of the Spirit. He's not competing with Jesus. He's glorifying Jesus. And Jesus says that the Spirit will take what is mine and make it known to you. Want to know what the Spirit's curriculum is? It's the same as Jesus. It's the things of Jesus, which Jesus says are the same things of the Father, because all that the Father has is mine, and all that I have is the Father's. And he's taking the Spirit, he's taking that content, the things of Christ, to make known to us. That's his curriculum. So we have something of the source and the initiative and the, and the motives and the curriculum and the continuity of the work of the Spirit of God. We have quite a little picture here that Jesus gives us of, of the different facets of the Spirit's work. When he comes to sum it all up, the Spirit will guide us in the truth with all that that could possibly entail. 
Well, that's kind of an overview of what he says, but we won't just stop at the overview. Actually, when we look carefully, there are a couple of different things here. There's a little breakdown in here that I didn't notice at first until after I'd been studying this a while. You can figure it out for yourself if you ask yourself the question, what is the object of the Spirit's work in these verses? The Holy Spirit will work on what or on whom? What's the Spirit working on? Well, actually, there are two different things here. He works on us, right? He guides us. He tells us. He makes known to us. We're the object of his work, right? At the same time, he works on the truth. He speaks what he hears. He takes the truth from Christ, makes it known, teaches it. Spirit is presented as one who's, who's the object of whose work is both us and the truth. Now, I make a point of this because, um, you know, we've all seen people who have one or the other of those things. You, you perhaps know someone who is an expert on some subject matter. knows everything about everything you could possibly know on that subject. Uh, we call people like that, uh, but, but, but maybe doesn't care a thing about people. We call people like that scholars. Actually, we probably call them computer nerds these days. Know everything about everything, but they can't tell anyone because they have no people skills. Or we, we know the other kind of people, too. We know folks that have a tremendous concern for others. And they listen and they care about people. They don't really care what the discussion is about. They just care about people. They're kind of babysitters, sort of, you know. Want to make sure you're okay. The Holy Spirit comes and he has both an intricate knowledge and concern for the content of the things of Christ. And he has a passion for the people, the disciples of Christ. Now, what do you call that? That's a teacher. Knows the material. Knows the pupil. Wants to take the pupil and guide him to come and assimilate the material and be changed by it. That's how the Spirit is presented to us. The master teacher who guides us in the truth. That ought to be descriptive for us, folks. Because how the Spirit is, is how we ought to be. You know, I've noticed over the, the years that in the Christian church, we kind of have both of these kinds of folks, don't we? Some are always concerned about people. They say, now, it's just important to listen. I mean, you don't even have to say anything. It's just important to be there for people. And then we have these people who say, don't waste your time coddling people. Just put the, lay the truth on the line, let the chips fall where they may. We probably have some of both of those in the chapel, don't we? But the Spirit does both. The Spirit guides us carefully with a steady hand, with a heart of compassion. He guides us. But He also pays attention to where we're going. He guides in the truth. No compromise, no confusion. Carefully discerning the true from the false. He's the master teacher. I call us to aspire to be like the Spirit. 
of Jesus, in the way we do our work, the way we, we deal with each other, nurture those same traits in ourselves and in one another. What a wonderful promise here. When the Spirit comes, He will guide you in the truth. There are a couple of pitfalls, though, when we get on this subject of the Spirit's work, Spirit guiding us in the truth. There are a couple of pitfalls around that are very alive and well in our day that I think we need to mention. Though the text doesn't bring them up, I think we need to bring them up because our text helps us to avoid them. So think with me a minute about two different pitfalls. The first is this. There's a notion around these days that we need to get behind the New Testament. We need to get behind the accounts of the apostles, the testimony of the church, what the church had to say about Jesus. We need to get behind all of that to the, to the real Jesus who actually lived, unencumbered by what the church said, what the apostles said, what other people wrote. Get back to the real Jesus and then we would know for sure the truth. And so there are scholars who give great amounts of time to strip away all that the New Testament says about Jesus, to try to speculate that what was really back there, what he was really like. On a very popular level, this is why you have, many of you, the words of Jesus in red in your Bible. Some assumption that the word of Jesus is the purest thing and that whatever else was said is somehow some secondary thing. We just need to get back to the pure, purest revelation. In these verses, though, Jesus shows us that all such efforts, whether the very scholarly efforts of the search for the historical Jesus or whether the popular notion of red-letter Bibles, that all such efforts are misguided. Indeed, in these verses, we have Jesus guaranteeing for us the authenticity of the testimony which is going to come from his apostle. Here, Jesus guarantees that the testimony of the apostles will be sound. For you see this promise that the Spirit will guide you. to whatever extent it might apply to us, and it certainly does apply to us. We must say that it applies primarily to these 12. Jesus has chosen them to be his apostles. He had many disciples that followed him. He prayed all night and chose 12 that he called apostles, sent ones, ambassadors of his. He called them uniquely to testify of him. In fact, after the resurrection, he showed himself to them. He didn't show himself to all the believers. He showed himself to some, specifically to these that he had commissioned to testify of him. Those who had been with him all along from the beginning. He says that in the last verse of the chapter before, chapter 15. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus 
uniquely promises to guide these men, his chosen witnesses, in the truth. Now what truth? Well, according to verse 13, the the Spirit will tell you what is yet to come. And we might say, well, he's talking about then the end of the world. Well, it certainly would include that, but I think that's not the focus of that. What, What events are yet to come? Jesus' death? Jesus' resurrection? Jesus' ascension to the right hand of the Father? And the whole day in which we live, all of that yet to come when Jesus is speaking. That's what the New Testament is, isn't it? It's the account of things to come after this night. The death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, and his coming again someday. What happened? What does it all mean? What do we make of all of that? Jesus promises his disciples, when the Spirit comes, he is going to guide you in this. And he's going to explain. And he's not speaking about himself. He's going to tell you these things about me. He's going to take all this truth of me with the same motive and make it known to you. The New Testament scholar Leon Moore says, the things to come is a way of referring to the whole Christian system of truth. There was future when Jesus spoke that was revealed to his apostles, not by natural ways, but by the Spirit. Dr. James Boyce is a little bit more blunt in the way he says it. He says, what the Lord is promising to do here is to work by the Holy Spirit in the apostles to give us the New Testament. So this revelation is absolutely authoritative and inerrant. Indeed, that's what the apostles claimed when they're out preaching and bearing testimony of Jesus. The apostle Paul wrote to the the church at Ephesus, God, by revelation, made known to me the mystery which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by his Spirit to the apostles. In that passage that we talked about in 1 Corinthians 2, about eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has anyone even imagined all of the things that God would do, all of the things that God has prepared for those that love him. The very next verse says, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. And it goes on to say, which things we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but in words which the Spirit teaches. This morning I tell you with confidence that you can trust your Bible. How do I know that? Because Jesus guaranteed it. Jesus didn't just say to his disciples, now when I'm gone, You guys try to remember what happened and maybe write it down so you can share it. Oh no, that's not what he said. He said, when I'm gone, I'm going to send my spirit who thinks just like I think, who wants exactly what I want, who knows exactly what I'm going to do. And he's going to tell you the rest of the story. He's going to guide you into this truth, carefully, specifically into this truth. 
Jesus promised, guaranteed the authenticity of the testimony that we call the New Testament. That's what we have in our Bibles. Not just casual recollection, but the words of the Spirit. That's, when the, that's why when the Spirit came after the day of Pentecost, we, we read of the church, they gave themselves to what? The apostles' doctrine. Why? Because it was the word of the Spirit. It was, it was on a par with the Old Testament scriptures. It was God's word. It wasn't just the thoughts of the apostles. And that's why Paul writes to young Timothy, and he says, guard what has been entrusted to you. He doesn't just say, remember some of the stuff that I told you because there's a lot of truth there. Oh, no. He says, you have been entrusted with a deposit of truth. That's the standard of sound doctrine. You guard it with your life. It's the word of the Spirit, you see. The Spirit will guide us in the truth. He's able to do so because he guided the apostles already as they, as they recall those things and as they understood those things and as they inscripturated those things and he preserved that for us so that we do not need today, nor would it be helpful today, for us to get behind the work of the apostles, behind the testimony of scripture, to think that we would discover Jesus there. If we did, we would not have the whole picture. We would know nothing about his death and resurrection and ascension and what he's doing now. It is through the word of the apostle that we know the whole story. The Spirit guarantees God's word to us. A search for the historical Jesus apart from the scripture, behind the scripture, is a vain, useless search. Second problem we need to avoid in regard to the Spirit guiding us in the truth. Just as there is a notion around that we need to get behind the New Testament to find the real Jesus, there's also a notion around that we need to go beyond the New Testament in order to hear the voice of the Spirit. A lot of emphasis on the Spirit. Christians talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. All kinds of people have all kinds of things that God supposedly has said to them by the Spirit. In fact, in many circles, the fact that somebody believes in Jesus and has forgiveness of sins and eternal life is rather passe. What really matters is, what's the Spirit saying to you today? Well, this text throws some light on that kind of thinking. Just two observations here. If we say that the promise of the Holy Spirit's guidance applies uniquely to the apostles in such a way that it guarantees the trustworthiness of the Bible, of the New Testament. The other side of that is that we have to say the Spirit is not working and speaking in us the same way. You see, we were not one of the 12 chosen. We were not with Jesus from the beginning. We have not seen face to face the resurrected Christ. We are not apostles. If God has guaranteed the authenticity of the scripture, he also, in that same truth, would make clear that the scripture is not coming to us in the same way. We're not uniquely apostles like they were. 
Therefore, any subjective sense of what the Spirit might be saying to me, of how the Spirit might be moving in me, has to bow in authority to what He has said in the Scripture. You see, what I feel that the Spirit is saying means absolutely nothing. It has no authority. It may be, I'm not saying God's in a box and he's dead and he doesn't work. Oh, he's very much alive and he really does guide us and he really does lead us and he really does fellowship with us. But I feel all kinds of things that I think are God speaking to me. But when I stick my nose in the Bible, he says, uh-uh, I don't do that. And I realized that I was self-deceived or I was led by something else. Not the Spirit. You see, when we start talking about the Spirit, it's easy to get really subjective here. As John Calvin once wrote, as soon as the Spirit is severed from the Word, the door is open to all sorts of crazies. That would kind of describe the church in our day. Every conceivable thing done in the name of the Spirit directed me. No, he didn't. You see, Jesus didn't promise to give us a spirit guide. That's new age lunacy. He promised that he, in the, in the person of his spirit, would come and guide us in his truth. That's different. The other thing about this little problem of where we hear the Spirit's voice is that we need to be reminded that the whole agenda of the Holy Spirit is what? To glorify Christ. To make Christ known. To announce Christ's things. To promote Christ's cause. To bring honor to Christ. In fact, when Jesus is the center of tension, not necessarily the Spirit. When Jesus is the center of attention, we can be most confident this is of the Spirit. Because that's what the Spirit does. He calls us, He causes us to call Jesus Lord. He causes us to love Jesus. He causes us to believe in Jesus and to listen to Jesus and want to love Him and to serve Jesus. So you be careful when it begins to sound like the news about Jesus is kind of old hat. We've moved on to better things, the stuff of the Spirit. I would tell you, there is no better things. Jesus' stuff is what the Father is doing, and Jesus' truth is where the Spirit is leading us, nowhere else. The Spirit will guide us into all truth. We don't need to get behind the New Testament to find Jesus. No, the New Testament is the Spirit's truth. But we don't need to get beyond the New Testament to find the Spirit. No, the Spirit speaks with the Word. This is how God speaks to us. This is how God deals with us. We read His Word. He causes us to see it's not just Paul's Word to the Ephesians. It's Christ's Word to me. 
and it applies to my situation. That's the work of the Spirit. Apart from that, I don't understand it. It's some strange ancient document, but the Spirit makes it alive, makes us, me to see it as it really is, the Spirit guiding in the truth. There's a wonderful prayer that Paul makes for the believers in Ephesus. I'd just like to read to you. My prayer for you and me. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. For as we said earlier, you never exhaust knowing Jesus. And then he goes on, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great, incomparably great power for us who believe. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. What's Paul praying? That the Spirit would guide them into all these glorious truths of Christ. And that's my prayer for us. That he would cause us to see that we'll never exhaust knowing Jesus. And that then he would guide us as we learn, as we grow.